Good morning, everybody. Before I begin to uh, share the word with you guys, there's, there's a video that we're going to watch. And many of you know, some of you don't know, we're part of a group of churches. We're not on our own. We're not independent. We're part of a group of churches called LifeLink. And that would include Living Word, Crosspoint, but other churches in America and in the UK and in Europe. And LifeLink is an organization of churches who, um, they're like us, they're family, and they have got different, um, different connections throughout the entire world. And so we, we, with LifeLink, we partner with them in order to do a lot of missions work. And so 10% of what we receive as a church, we as a church tithe out and give to LifeLink, which then in turn goes and helps fund and support uh, an orphanage in Zimbabwe. Um, there's a Bible college in, in, in Africa and in Zambia. We also partner with a, a group out of India where they, they do a lot of work with uh, trying to help women come out of prostitution. We also work with a lot of uh, people in China as well with the underground church. Now, the, the head of LifeLink, who's Alan Scotland, is asked, very rarely does he ever ask for um, an offering to, to be taken up amongst the churches. However, this year, he has asked us to, um, to take up an offering. And this is a letter I received, and this is what um, we're taking up an offering for. He's, he's appealing to the churches in the U.S. and the U.K. He would like to partner with us, partner with the underground church in China, with which we are in relationship, to build a facility for the leaders of the church who will be shortly coming out of prison. They have suffered greatly for the kingdom of God. Many of them are now old. They have been deprived of medicine, proper nutrition, and have suffered under hard labor. And so we're trying to raise funds to build a facility where the, the older gentlemen who have been imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, who will be coming out of prison shortly, will have a place for them to come and get proper medical care, proper nutrition, proper um, just place to stay. Because as they're coming, after they've spent 10 plus years in prison, they have no money, they have no means, they have no opportunity to really come across these things that they've been without for a number of years. And so we want to, we're going to, in the middle of January, probably the second Sunday in January, we are going to take up an offering for this cause. And last year, when we took up an offering for Crosspoint to purchase their building, I remember sitting down in, in, at my desk thinking, okay, what, what can we do as a church? How much do I re- realistically think that we can raise in my mind as a church and I remember thinking, well, if we can raise six or $700, that would be amazing. That would, that would be very, very generous of our church. For the size we are, for the, just the, the amount of, of resources we have, I thought six or $700 would, be, would just be a blessing to them. We had raised, we raised, we took up an offering and we raised as a church over $5,000. It blew my mind to what the amount of generosity that came out of this church that went in to help Crosspoint with, with their building purchase. And now we're asking to, for us to be generous again. And this is, you know, as we as a church, we want to uh, preach the gospel and share the good news of Jesus Christ right where we're at. But we also believe the message of Jesus Christ is not just not located to one locale. It's not located just North America or just, just our little region here. This is the word of God has gone, gone forth into all the nations. And China has experienced such tremendous persecution in the church. And so these gentlemen, we're going to watch a brief video. 
Alan's going to share with us a little bit more of his heart for what he'd like to do. But that's a very, it's a very serious call for us to continue to give generously. Mercy Hill is an unbelievably generous church. I've been so blessed at the way people have given time and time and time again. And so we're asking that you would just seek the Lord, ask what he would have you to give, and we'll give what we have and see what the Lord can do. So it's important to us that serving the poor in China is important to us. And even though we don't see any kind of special benefit, we're not going to get something new, some new equipment or anything like that for us. We send it away and we'll, we won't see the benefits of it until we get to heaven, really. And so, but this is what God has called us to do. And so we want to be obedient to that. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. I want to give you this kind of a heads up with where we're going to, we're going to be going in the next couple of weeks. We have got, next week, we've got a, a Christmas brunch on the 19th. And so we'll be here. We're going to have tables set up and chairs, and we'll have all kinds of food. This would be a great thing for you to be able to invite some friends, family, um, neighbors to. We're going to have a, just a, we'll have a shorter service. It'll be probably one-hour service with um, singing some Christmas songs and have a, have a brief message. But we're going to have a, just a good time eating together and enjoying, enjoying one another. So that's next week. The week after that's the 26th. I was talking to a friend of mine last night who's like, man, we canceled church on the 26th. No one's going to be around. And I thought, you know, we're not canceling church. Even though I know most people in here are going to be gone on that weekend because you're going to go home to see family. We're still going to be here and we're going to enjoy uh, the goodness of God together. So we'll be here the 26th. We're actually going to be doing a, a baby dedication that day. Um, a kid by the name of Grayson, I think. Okay. Sounds familiar? So we're dedicating Grayson on that day. So Michelle's family will be here, and it'll be a good time together. All right. Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 18. <clears throat> we're going to read this passage, Matthew one eighteen to chapter 2, verse 12, and then we'll pause and pray. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> now the birth of Christ, of Jesus Christ, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had happened, appeared, and he sent to them, sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the privilege it is that we are able to open your word together without fear of the authorities or without fear of, of imprisonment. God, thank you that we can freely talk about your word. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would give us understanding in our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would give us the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see what is written across your scriptures. And Lord, I pray that you would give me the strength to be able to communicate clearly and boldly as I ought. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this passage of Matthew, we see the, the very themes of the gospel that Matthew has written coming really into light. Some of the themes that we see in the book of Matthew are that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So in the book of Matthew, you're going to see time and time again, according to the prophet, and just this careful recollection of what has been said prophetically in the Old Testament and to why Jesus Christ has fulfilled those things. We also see Jesus coming to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Making that a realization for people. But he's also coming to bring both Jew and Gentile to redemption, to himself. So from the very beginning of the book, we see this, these patterns emerging. And in this passage specifically, we really see this clearly. And so I'm excited this morning to share this with you because I believe this has got implications for us. As we see Jesus on mission... To bring the lost, Jew and Gentile, both to himself, this means something for us. This gives us mission as well. This gives us purpose as a church. And so God's intention of blessing all the nations through Jesus Christ, we see written across the very pages of, these, of Scripture and in these passages. In us as a church, we believe that the good news of Jesus Christ coming is not reserved for just a certain ethnic group, 
It's not reserved for a certain geographical location, not reserved for a certain social class. When Jesus came, he brought good news for all people. This is good news for everybody, regardless of where you live, how much you make, who your family is, where you've been born. This is good news for all people. And so we dig into saying, thank you, Jesus. If this gospel is only a gospel for the Jews, we wouldn't be here today. None of us would. We'd be hopeless. But since it's been good news for all people, we've got hope that we as a church in Highland, Indiana, could send resources to a, a church in China. The good news of Jesus is, is, is at work in China and in Highland and in Jerusalem and all over the world. It's good news for everybody. And so this is the way that the gospel, not, the gospel of Matthew not only starts with this message of, of hope for all people. This it doesn't only start this way, but the, the gospel of Matthew also ends this way as well. Remember at the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, what do we read? It's the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. So this is written through and through in the gospel. Now, within the context of this passage, we see a number of different responses to the message that Jesus Christ is here. So I want to look at a couple different responses to how people reacted to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so let's begin to look. The first thing that we see, the first response that we see to Jesus and to the coming of the king is number one is opposition. This is from Herod's court. Opposition to Jesus. Wanting to kill Jesus. Wanting to get rid of Jesus. This was Herod's hope. This is why Herod pulled the wise men aside and said, Hey guys, come over here. You know what? I want you to go find him. I want you to come tell me because I want to worship him. I want to do like you guys are doing. And it wasn't his intention at all. His intention was to destroy Jesus. So there's opposition to him. I was, as I began to think about this, why, why was Herod so opposed to Jesus? And I believe the reason he was opposed is because Herod was the king. This passage makes that clear over and over. Herod the king. Herod the king. It's because Jesus, being born king of the Jews, was another king. And he was in opposition to Herod's kingship, to Herod's rule. Herod didn't want to share the throne with anybody. He wanted to keep it for himself. There was another king. Now, as I think about this, as I prayed about this this week, so often in my own heart, I can look at someone like Herod and say, wow, this guy was evil. This guy is bad news. Wanting to, to, to stomp out Christ, want to put an end to Jesus, want to do these terrible things, killing all these babies with the hope of, of, of killing Jesus because Jesus was, a, Jesus was another king who would be opposed to his rule. But I thought about this this week. How many times in my own heart, how many times in my own heart have I responded this way to the kingship of Jesus when my kingdom has been challenged? My kingdom gets challenged by the Lord and we become concerned because now my kingdom's threatened. What I want to do, where I want to go, how I want to spend my money. That becomes challenged by, by the reality of Jesus Christ showing up, saying, 
Don't spend your money on those things. Spend it on these things. Don't watch that movie. Don't do these things. Instead, give of yourself. Lay your life down. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. So often as Christians, we don't really think about our kingdom being challenged in those terms. Here's a little known fact for some of you. Becoming a Christian means that you will never have to hire a moving company for the rest of your life. For whatever reason, when you come into the church and give your life to the Lord, you are automatically put onto the moving team at church. You you may have not known that. If you've been here for a number of weeks, you're on the moving team. Someone is going to move in the church. You'll get a phone call. Guess what? Time Time to serve, right? And so, welcome to the church on the moving team, right? That's the way it works. And so what happens is someone, sure enough, someone needs to move on a Saturday. You get the phone call, and you're like, man, it's my Saturday. I worked hard this week. I don't want to serve anybody. I don't want to help this. Surely there's other people in the church who are going to do that. I mean, it's part of, like, other people's ministry. I'm not on the, serving, or the moving team just yet. Everyone else is. And our, our kingdom gets challenged. My free time gets challenged. Everything in me gets challenged. My kingdom is being invaded by someone who's too cheap to hire a moving company. And I don't like it. And I don't like it. Now, I say that as a bit of a joke. If I were, if I were going to move anywhere, I'd probably be calling all of you guys up. So I'm part of this too, too cheap to hire someone. Last night... I was with some friends, and we were downtown Chicago. Can, would someone be able to get me some of a drink? It's a cup of water. It would be great. I was, we were with someone downtown, and as we were walking past this lady, she was holding out a cup, and it just said, I you know, need help. Please give. And I felt the Lord say, give the money that you have in your wallet. Now, usually for me, that's, I'm like, that's great news, Lord, because I usually don't have anything in my wallet. So I'm like, hey, you know what? I'll give you all the money I have. You know, it's, I got a dollar. Here you go. I'm off the hook. But last night, I had, I had a little bit more than that. I had like 20 bucks or something. So like, that's an awful lot of money for me to carry in my wallet. And is, we walk past and the Lord, you know, give, give her what you have. And I heard that. You know what? We have to run back in the restaurant because my buddy forgot his, his sweatshirt in the, in the restaurant. So we'll come back out. And we come back out, I'll give her the money because I don't want to backtrack. It's raining and, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, Matt, thank you. Appreciate it. So I don't want to backtrack. So walk past. And I have all the, all the intention in the world to give her the money that she's, she's asking for. And we ended up coming out of the restaurant, and by the time I was, we were talking, I forgot other things. We went the other way. We completely missed her. And this morning, as I'm working through my sermon, I'm sitting in my, in my office, and I got the door closed, and I'm working through this, and I get to this part in the sermon, and the Lord just gently reminds me, what about that woman that you had forgotten to give the money to? You could have easily just ran back, given her the money right when I told you to do it. Instead, okay, I'll do it later, Lord. I'll get to it in just a minute. I'll come back this way. It's raining. My kingdom was being impeded upon. My kingdom was being challenged. I want, the Lord asked me to give money. The Lord wanted me to run back in the rain. 
I didn't feel like doing it. And I disobeyed the Lord. And so at that point, I just thought, man, this is a perfect example of this. My kingdom was challenged. There was another king, and it wasn't me. And he has claim to all that I have. Everything I have has been given to me by him. It belongs to him. He can do with it as he pleases. He wants me to give 20 bucks or a dollar or a hundred dollars or a thousand. It all belongs to him anyways. And so I just had to sit in my office and I said, repent, Lord Jesus. Man, I've been, I've been the Herod in this story. My kingdom was challenged. And I said, I'll get to it later. And I just had to repent and thank goodness for Jesus Christ who has forgiven us of all of our sins. Brian read that passage today out of Romans. We can be confident in the love of Jesus Christ. We can be confident because if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, for our sins, we know that today he is still with us and for us. If he has not withheld his own son from us, how much more will he not lavish his love upon us? And I could sit there in my office and say, Lord, forgive me. I need to receive your grace. Help me. Help me. The next time that you call, the next time that you break into my life and speak and challenge my kingdom, Lord, let me not put it off. Let me not say later. It's raining. It's cold. Let me not do that, Lord. Let me be responsive. The good news is I can receive the grace of God. And come before him today and worship with all my heart because I know I've been forgiven and been restored and been redeemed. So that's one thing we see. We see opposition. So as this message goes forth into all the world and Jesus is, is reconciling Jews and Gentiles to himself, we see opposition in our own heart. But we also see apathy. The Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders here knew the scriptures They knew where Jesus was going to be born. They knew the word of God. The wise men come, say, look, we've seen his star. Where is he going to be born? He's going to be born in in Bethlehem. The wise men go and, and find him, but the Jewish leaders stay right where they're at. This, this journey from where they were in Jerusalem to, to Bethlehem is five miles. It's not like these wise men had to travel from Jerusalem another hundreds of miles to find Jesus. They had to go five miles. But the Jewish leaders were unwilling to travel. Unwilling to travel the five miles to find the promised Messiah of Israel. Unwilling to do it. When I think about this in my own heart, where I see this, is sometimes on a Sunday morning, I can come in and sit unmoved at all. Worship is happening around me. My heart is cold. My heart is distant. I've got other things going on. And yet, the reality is Jesus is right there. Instead of participating, I become withdrawn. It doesn't matter if Christ is five feet or five miles away. I'm not moving. This is how I, I would describe my heart at many times. But I'd also describe a lot of the men's hearts in this church. Not everyone's heart. But there's, a, there's men in this church who I feel like, man, we need, to, we need to be the leaders in our homes, in our church. We need to stand up and worship with all of our hearts. 
Because Jesus is worthy of it. Not because we have to, because it's a duty. Because we, we get to. It is a privilege to worship. And so often we can just stand here with our hands at our side while our wife is sitting next to us or our girlfriend, whoever else, and they're worshiping, calling out to God, and we sit unmoved with our hands down. We have got daughters and wives wanting to see men passionately pursuing and loving Jesus with all their hearts. Let us be that church. Let us be that church where the men are men who worship Jesus, who are not apathetic, who are not disengaged. I remember talking to a guy after service when this wasn't, a, this wasn't here. I was talking to a guy. He says, you know what? I really want my son who's a teenager. I want him to have freedom in worship and raise his hands and, and sing loudly and call it to Jesus. I want him to do that. I said, are you doing that? He said, no. It's too, I, I, that's not how I am. I said, sir, if you want your son to do that, let him see you doing that. Let that be the catalyst. Man, this is how dad worships Jesus. He is serious about God. He is off key and it sounds terrible, but he doesn't care. Man, he is calling it out. He looks goofy with his arms raised. He's got pit stains and all kinds of stuff. It doesn't matter. He's calling out to the Lord. I thought, man, that is how the young men are going to see and know how to worship Jesus. We have men doing those things. So I want to challenge the men in this church. Let us be the men who will rise up and call upon Jesus. Who won't be afraid to raise our hands, to sing loud, to do the things that God is calling us to do. Things that honor God, glorify him, and bless those around us. It is a blessing. Men, it is a blessing to the women and the children and everyone else in this place when that's happening. It is a blessing. Number three, we also see worship. The wise men are magi, sought after and found. Their worship was costly. They, as reading through the different perspectives on where these wise men could have come from, we, ne- we don't know exactly where they, have co- they came from happened to be under the persuasion, this is just my opinion, that they probably came from Babylon, which was roughly 900 miles away, traveling on foot to get to Jerusalem. It would have taken months. It wasn't like they saw the star and jumped in their car and showed up at Jerusalem the next day. This was months of travel and planning and cost and expenses. I mean, this took a long... And this wasn't just... This was a round trip. I mean, it took months to get there and months to get back. They may have spent half, six months to a year of their life looking for Jesus to give them these gifts. This was costly. Not only did that cost them time and money to get there and travel, but then they also gave them expensive gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These weren't, these weren't just cheap gifts. These weren't dollar store gifts. These, were, these were, gifts were at a premium. This is probably the gifts that Joseph and Mary probably used to finance their trip to Egypt shortly after this and have a place to stay. This is probably where that, that money came from. But this, was, this worship was costly. And even though the, the wise men or magi didn't have a full understanding of the ramifications of who Jesus was, that a quasi-understanding of Jesus and the, the coming Messiah, 
Yet they came and they did the appropriate thing. They worshiped. They worshiped. That is the appropriate response. But we not only see this in our own hearts, in the church, in our mission, we also see this outside the doors of the church. There's opposition. People who reject the truth of Jesus Christ for different reasons. Maybe it's because of the implications of, of Christ Jesus and the kingdom coming to bear on their own life and their own kingdom. Maybe it's just hard to understand how, how did God get here and how this whole thing work. There's a number of different reasons. But in the end, there's, there's an unwillingness to surrender our lives or submit ourselves to the Lord. We also see there being lukewarm response. Sometimes people are familiar with church. Maybe they've grown up in church, has been a part of their, their history. They may not be opposed to the idea of Christianity, but it's not something that's a, a white-hot passion for Jesus. So they attend, a few, attend church a few times a year, put a few bucks in the plate, and kind of leave feeling, well, the guilt's off my back. I don't feel so bad anymore. Jesus is not supreme. He's just okay. Then we also see outside the walls of church people who do supremely love Jesus more than anything else. Passionate about Jesus. Give their lives for him. Can't imagine what life would be without him. And so the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ coming to give his life and to die for our sins comes at many different people in many different places. But Jesus came to reach the lost. Jesus came to reach the Jew and Gentile. This was his mission. This is what he came to do. And this is what he empowers and what he desires from us. Not only was Jesus on mission, but now he sends us on mission. To reach those who are opposed and apathetic and lukewarm. To encourage those who are faint and weak. To help the poor and the needy. And this is God's gift to us, Jesus Christ, his son. Spreading the good news is now what he's given us to do. I want to talk this morning just briefly about worship and why worship is important to this mission. Because we can talk about mission. We can beat you up about mission. You got to go, go save some people and go share the good news and go do this now. But I believe there's something that fuels mission. There's something that gives us the power to do this. Gives us the grace to do this and gives us the motivation to do this. This is a quote by John Piper out of his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. This is what John Piper writes. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Psalm 97 says, For the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. 
Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. But worship is also the fuel of missions. Passion for God and worship precedes the offer of God and preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad who cannot save from the heart. I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exalt in thee. I will praise. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High. Missions begins and ends in worship. So in other words, what he's saying is, we will not be moved to go and tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ if we ourselves are unmoved by the person and work and continuing work of Jesus Christ. It won't happen. We usually tell people the things that we are moved by. I remember we used to have, when I was living at home, this guy who'd come door to door selling Schwann's frozen foods. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever see the Schwann's guy? This guy would come into our house and we'd be like, you know what, the freezer's full. He'd say, I don't care. I'll, I will rearrange your freezer and I will sell you some stuff. Mom's like, great. You know, you want to rearrange. So the guy would come and re- he would like clean and rearrange our, the freezer in our house. And then he'd sell us a bunch of stuff. It was amazing. This guy was like, but this guy was passionate for swan's food. I mean, this guy would sell you stuff that you're like, this stuff's junk. But by the time he got done explaining this to you, you'd be like, oh, it's not so good. Can I get some of that? Yeah, I'll fill your freezer. Yeah, dear, you know, just go fill it. You, whatever it costs. He'd come and his little kids, he'd, the guy come and sell like liver and onions. And oh, he'd come and, oh, the kids love this. And this is so good for everybody. And man, this is just the hottest item. Everyone's buying this. And oh, I just taste it now. And he's talking about it and how he cooks it up. And, and by the time you're like, yeah, liver and onions sounds so good right now. And, Man, I just I want a freezer full of it. And man, the kids are all going to love it. And look, the guy was passionate about Swan's food. And because of it, man, he was able to talk about Swan's food in a way that was real. And, and it, it moved you. And the same thing with the Lord. When we, are, when we are so satisfied in God, we are passionate for Jesus. We are singing his praises and calling out to him. And, and we, are, we are finding our greatest joy in him. It's going to be a motivation for us to tell other people, look, I want you to see what I see. I want you to find enjoyment in God the way I find enjoyment in God. I want you to, to experience this relationship that is so real and powerful and good. It will change your life forever. I want you to know this. But if we come in and just sit with our hands to our side and, yeah, I'm kind of, kind of tired today. I don't feel like singing. We're not going to tell anyone about the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. We won't be moved to. It, it means nothing to us. Why would it mean something to anyone else? Worship matters. Worship is important. So the mission of the church in our lives is absolutely affected by our worship. The very thing that God calls us to do, and that's worship, is the very thing that fuels another thing that God calls us to do, and that's mission. Mission without worship is hypocritical. So, briefly, what is worship? Is it songs? 
Is it reading the Bible? Is it prayer? What is worship? Louis Giglio, out of his book, The Air I Breathe, writes this. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way that we live. It includes songs, but it's more than songs. It includes reading the Bible, but it's more than just reading the Bible. It is, a, it is treasuring and savoring Jesus above everything else. And because of that, it affects the way we live. Not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the entirety of our lives. This is important because this affects mission. This affects what God has given us to do. This affects the very thing we see Jesus coming to do is the thing he calls us to do. It affects the way we do these things. So what does worship look like? And I just want to talk briefly about, it's not only personal, but it's corporate. So corporate worship, sing songs to God. Man, when we sing, we sing from the heart. It's not just giving lip service, but we are singing from the heart. We are listening to the word. We're giving generously. We're celebrating the table of communion. We're encouraging others. These things are all forms of worship. We're serving Saying, God, I value the things you've called me to do more than my own time. I'm going to give to you because it's all been given to, to me by you anyways. And now I have the privilege of giving back to you. Sowing into places like China and Africa and orphanages in our local ministry here. If we want to be a church that reaches the lost, we need to be a church that worships. And that needs to be our call I want to encourage us. Where do we see ourselves at? As we think about mission, I'm not just talking about, well, we'll go do this, we'll go do these things. It's vital that we see Jesus for who he is, all satisfying. It's not just that Jesus showed up and, and died for our sins on the earth. He did that, but he's yet, he is still working today. We worship not because just what Jesus did, although we do do that, we worship because of what Jesus is doing. He is at work. We get up today with the hope that Jesus is continuing to work in our church, in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our everywhere we go. Jesus is at work. So we can continue to hope to worship and be on mission for what he's done. So this morning, I want to just take a moment as we partake in communion to ask the Lord to search our hearts. God, where are we at? Are we apathetic? Are we opposed? God, are we really giving ourselves to worshiping you? And if we find ourselves at a place where, you know what? I don't even know Jesus. The good news is the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ that he came and gave his life for our sins can, can bring us into relationship with him today. We forsake our sin. We turn from our, our rebellion against God and we turn towards Jesus, putting our hope and faith that his work on the cross was for us and our sin, for our forgiveness. We have the hope today of relationship, and walking in this obedience. Like I said, we don't do this out of duty. We do this because we, we, we get to. This is a privilege for all that Christ has done for us on the cross. 
we have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with other people. Let us be that church that worships wholeheartedly and that worship fuels the mission and passion for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would, by your spirit, bring just conviction to our hearts where we need to change. God, we ask that we would be a church who worships passionately. We'd be a place where your glory is proclaimed. You are treasured above all things. And Lord, we ask that that would fuel mission for you. Jesus, thank you that you came on mission and you, you sought after and you redeemed us as your body. And now you call us to participate with you in bringing others into this relationship. So Lord, help us. Help us to be on mission. But Lord, help us to do so because we are so enthralled with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.